Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamily Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, guys. Welcome back for another episode of the Beauteous Me podcast. Super excited to continue to bring you amazing content. I hope you guys are taking care of yourself. Just know that you come First, if you are struggling with anything, go tune in to all the other episodes. We have topics on everything and anything, or check me out on my Instagram, which I'm always putting super funny content at times. <laughs> I am beauteous me. Excited to bring another guest, another powerhouse female here to share her story, guys. And of course, this is um, a story that I want you guys to really focus on and see how you can transition truly into resiliency despite all the shit that life has thrown to you. And I'm super excited to bring Carrington here to join us today. Welcome, Carrington. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So let me just give everyone just a little brief synopsis of what a badass you are. Carrington Smith is a single mom, attorney, business owner, and executive search professional. Despite being born with a silver spoon in her mouth, life gave her a hard kick in the tail. She has survived sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, religious mind games, the death of loved ones, and the loss of close friends. In her debut memoir, Carrington combines wit and wisdom to share her journey through the shit. With a positive attitude and a shift of mindset into a life bursting with joy, opportunity, and purpose. She is a graduate of UT Austin and Tulane Law School. Carrington resides in Austin, Texas with her two teenage boys. Carrington, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. And thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story and your memoir with so many people. And I always start off with this question to all of my guests. Tell me about your story. What inspired you to write this? Well, when COVID hit, um, I had this epiphany. Um, so I was responding to COVID very differently than a lot of my friends. You know, when it first hit, we saw all these videos of people's recycle bins full of wine bottles and liquor bottles. <laughs> yep. People were just like, what's happened? Just in this crisis mode, a lot of people were crumbling, getting really depressed. And my attitude when this happened was, wow, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. When these moments happen, this is when great wealth is made and when innovation happens. Mm. And so what I saw, look, looking back at history in the Great Depression, like something like half the Fortune 500 companies were formed during the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, looking at it historically, I was like, this is a massive opportunity. Then I also looked at it like, okay, obviously we have to get through this. How am I going to get through this? And I started strategizing and planning, making sure my family was taken care of that sort of thing. But I realized that I was really well equipped for this because of my prior experiences. Mm -hmm. And I had written a lot of short stories over the years, but I was kind of like, who would care? <laughs> like, I am not a recovering addict. I'm not like a tennis great or a Holocaust survivor. Or you think about whose memoirs you pick up. Right. I'm none of those things. I'm just an ordinary girl. But it occurred to me that COVID was a universal trauma yes. that was happening to all of us. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I realized that my experiences, things like, sad, sad to say, but 
you know, being raped, uh, being sexually harassed, divorce, debt, you know, religious mind games. These were things that so many people had experienced that I suddenly realized that it was my very ordinariness that made my story compelling. Mm. And the fact that I was equipped to face this universal trauma head on, I wanted to pass on that gift to people. And I suddenly realized, and literally I felt compelled to write this book. Yes, I suddenly realized that I had a gift to give to people. And so I wrote this book, walking people through what I've been through, but also walking them through like how I got through it and the gift I discovered with each different trauma along the way. Mm. And so the book title is Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And I use the term shit because we we talk about oh, our shit, yeah. <laughs> things have gone to shit, whatever. But it's also a double entendre because shit is quite literally fertilizer. Mm. And it's the fertilizer. It's when we go back and examine the shit that we find the gifts we need or the nutrients we need to bloom into our greatness. Ooh. Yeah. So Ooh, that's, that's why I use that word. Yeah. Um, and so I went back through and as I was writing, even I continued to heal. So I had the first story that I write about is being raped. And of course, that's, you know, something that, you know, I went through extensive therapy. I had, there was a lot that I went through after that. Um, But what I, the real takeaway for me was that what we do with that kind of trauma, I know that most of us women who've experienced something like that, we want to either pretend it didn't happen or we say, I don't want this to define me. Okay. That was me. I was like, this is not going to define me. I'm just going to, you know, put it under the rug. That's the worst thing you can do Mm. because when you, when you try to ignore the trauma, it becomes the monster under the bed It does, and it owns you. And so for me, I actually, after I was raped, became promiscuous. And I understand this is fairly common with rape survivors is they go and they act out the trauma again and again. Mm -hmm. And so I like to say I became the messenger for the message that the rapist had given me, that I wasn't valuable, that I was only worth sex. Ooh. Yeah. I, and- I have goosebumps right now. You're just saying <laughs> that because it, it's, you know, in, in the work that I do in, in my practice with the clients that I see, um, I do treat some uh, sexual assault survivors or child sexual abuse survivors. And the, you know, there's always like that end extreme, right? You either are become really promiscuous there's an in-between where you have some issues kind of with intimacy and being connected. And then there's the other extreme where you become like asexual, where you just are not interested in it because that fear, that trauma has like laid dormant in your body that, you know, it, it, it it's there. And so thank you for sharing that part of your story because um, there, there's so many different levels in, in, in surviving sexual assault trauma. Yeah. I have to say, when I was writing this book, I realized that for people to relate and really buy into what I'm talking about, I had to be completely vulnerable, Mm -hmm. meaning I had to expose my shit. I mean, I talk about having an affair. I am not proud of that at all. But I realized if I was going to talk about my marriage, I had to talk about my part. Right. And so I had to own my shit. Yeah. And so throughout the book, I, I, very much exposed the ugly sides of what happened and how I responded to things. So, but yeah, with the rape itself, I came to realize that if we, you know, examine the shit, we face it, we look at it, then we're able to, once we claim it, we actually take ownership of it and say, look, this is something that happened to me. How am I going to use this 
to propel me to greatness. And let me give you an example, because a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around this with rape. But one of my favorite books is called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Mm -hmm. And he became a worldwide phenomenon as far as advising presidents and celebrities and all kinds of people on security matters. And he developed these skills and developed all you know, this whole company around it because he had to learn how to survive violence as a child. He lived in a very violent um, home. There were there were guns. There was you know physical violence. And instead of saying, oh, you know, like again, putting it under the rug, he used the skills that he got from that environment mm-hmm. to propel him to greatness, advising presidents and VIPs. Yes. And so I love that story because if you go back and you take what's happened to you and you learn from it and take from it and repurpose it, I mean, a lot of people take those experiences and become, you know, great artists or great musicians, or there's different, you know, ways to do it. But for me, I learned that I was a survivor. Yes. And by claiming that and understanding the emotional resilience that I had gained, it really helped propel me through life later when I dealt with a lot of other things. Yeah. So instead of pushing these things down, instead do the work. And I like to say you have to reach rage to reach forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Get angry. We women are not allowed to get mad. <laughs> oh, of course not. And if you do, it's like so out of character. Yeah. I mean, we get shamed for it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I like to say reach rage to reach forgiveness. So that means experience it, get angry, feel it, but let it pass through you. Don't live in that space. And once you get through that and you get angry, then you can get to forgiveness and forgiveness is freedom. You say, okay, I've been through that. I'm putting it behind me now, but I'm claiming the good I got from that. Mm. Mm. And I'm going to use it to propel me to move forward in life. I love it. So I, I, I know that, you know, you talked about the not good enough story, right? That I call it the gremlins in your head. I call it the um, the, ne- the limiting beliefs, the negative self-talk. Um, but for you, I, I just want to, you know, just ask, what do you feel causes the self-loathing? Wow. Well, for me, it really started with my father mm. in particular. Yeah. I mean, it was that and it was, it. well, yeah, it's it was him, the actual dialogue he would have with me But it was also him using religious beliefs to cause me shame and guilt. And I mean, he actually, I mean, as a child, I actually asked him, you know, am I pretty? And he said, uh, he kind of looked me over and he said, yeah, no, you're not. Um, I don't want to set you up for false expectations in life. So you need to know you're not pretty. But your sister, she's beautiful. Okay, hold on. I'm like, right now, (laughs) my jaw has dropped. This is your father. This is my father. You know, usually parents are like, oh, my baby's so cute. You're you're adorable. You're gorgeous. You you know, where where we are just pouring, you know, some parents pouring into our children. You're smart. You're good. You're talented. You have the ability. Your father was like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Don't want to set you up for false expectations. Yeah. Wow, Carrie. Wow. Yeah. So at a very deep level, I experience, and I have body dysmorphia issues. I have, you know, self-loathing at the deepest level. I mean, and everything I did was criticized. 
And so, you know, when you grow up in that environment, I mean, it took, I, you know, I, I was, I like to say, well, with, um, with comics, um, comedy comes from, from, from being wounded. And most people who are really funny have really deep trauma. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, I would deflect and I would make fun and I, you know, I would joke about my, my butt being the stalker and could I get a restraining order against my ass? You know, I, ha- I, mean, I was pretty funny about it. Yeah. Um, but the self-deprecating humor was actually something I had to wean myself from yeah. because it wasn't healthy. No. And I had to stop talking to myself that way. Mm-hmm. And so that was a long journey to get there to now. I'm like, okay, you know, we're friends now, me and my, <laughs> me and my butt. You know? <laughs> You're like, I think I like you. I think I like you today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about it too, is that, I mean, I grew up in the era of Twiggy being the thing, the real skinny girls. Yeah. And I ha- I'm very curvy. Mm-hmm. And I told someone recently how I'd had liposuction of my hips, thighs, and butt. And the look of horror on her face, she's like, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, because in our era, that was not appreciated. And so now people are like, why would you do that? Everybody's putting stuff everybody's in there. Putting, like, everybody's putting, everybody's injecting, <laughs> transferring, doing whatever, you know, and, and just listen. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny. I mean, I, 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 I joke too, that if you have the meme of you're asking your husband, does my ass look fat in these jeans? I mean, 20 years ago, he'd be like, no, ma'am. Oh no, it doesn't. Right. Today he'd be like, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my goodness. So you had said something and I know I'm, I'm skipping around and I, and I do this sometimes, but I, I had to let, let, go to this chapter what I liked about the chapter, guys, and you really have to get the book, um, is that every chapter you started off, it, it's a true memoir. It's like stage by stage, what I've experienced, but also um, the quotes that you have. You had said, and I'm going to skip to the money, men, and marriage chapter. I just felt, okay, you know, <laughs> sorry, guys, I digress, I digress. But um you had said something that was so poignant. You said, my life story and family history are littered with fortunes made and lost. I've witnessed pain, suffering, resentment, deceit, mental illness, drug addiction, and suicide all flowing from an obsession with money. I used to cry that it was unfair that I didn't get the same treatment as my brother or sister. Given my family history, I resented the fact that I hadn't inherited a dime from anyone. I was initially jealous of my sister and her storybook life. But over time, I have come to realize that none of this bullshit matters. I've got me and I'm all I need to take care of me. The reason I brought that up is because you talked about your sister and I remembered that chapter and I was like, hold on, hold on. You know, you're, you're everyone boosted everyone else around you except for you. And so it, it, looking at it from a clinical perspective, it's like, well, of course you're going to have self-esteem issues. Of course you're going to have insecurity issues. Of course it's going to be easy for you to fall prey into relationships that don't serve you, that are unhealthy, for you to have self-sabotaging behaviors. Because if your own family is sitting there and is just like, I'm not going to give you a piece of this. You don't, you know, you don't deserve this or you're not good enough. You're not worthy. That's how you're showing up as a mom, as a wife and, and whatever, you know, behaviors. And, and you mentioned about, you know, infidelity or whatever, and you took ownership for that. But that's also part of the work is that sometimes we sabotage ourselves. 
And we criticize ourselves because the most important people, the most important people in our lives can actually ruin us. And, and I just, I was like, it just clicked when you were talking about your sister. I was like, hold on, (laughs) let me jump into into that (laughs) section. Um, because it, 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 it just shows it's like you, you kept trying to prove your worth to your family and to yourself. And it was never enough. And it was never to enough. Myself. No. To myself. No. Yeah. Ah, oh, I'm and, telling you, you know, it's, book it's, was I do talk about. Powerful. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad it was powerful. I mean, and to give, give the listeners a little context. I mean, my sister went to a boarding school where, you know, on the weekends, they would climb on a friend's private jet and go somewhere. I mean, she was in the private jet crowd. I went to public school. Yeah. You know, so my friends were, you know, everyday jokes. Yeah. Um, and I think I turned out way better than she did. Mm. But it definitely, we had two completely different childhoods. Yeah. yeah. It, and that's interesting. You, you also talk about intergenerational stuff. And I'm one yes. to, to note that our family shit is always passed down to us. So tell us a little bit about Amen. you working through intergenerational trauma and how you as a mom, you're stopping that with your two boys. Yeah. And I love that quote I use when I'm talking about that, about, you know, and this intergenerational trauma goes on until someone stands up and stops it and stops the fire from continuing and blazing through the yep. generations. Yep. And um, yeah, I, walking away from my marriage to protect my boys was really big. And then also ending my relationship with my father. Um, when he choked my son, Mm. I, I was like, I was, again, it was one of those moments where you see, I'm like, I have a choice here. Like this stuff can continue through the generations or it can end here. And I was like, that mama bear comes up. I was like, you will not hurt my son. Yeah. You are out of my life. Yeah. Done. And what's even horrible is knowing, and my boys don't know this, but um, the stuff that he said about my kids since I ended that relationship with my father, he says some very horrible things about my kids. And um, he just makes up stories. Um, mm. The bottom line is, is they are protected from him and his toxicity. Yeah. And yeah, they are the best kids. They're so beautiful. They have such great hearts. They're so well-behaved. I'm so blessed to have them in my life. Yeah. Well, you did that. You know, you showed up as a mom and you said, I'm not going to do this to my children and I will not yeah. allow have my children experience what I've experienced. I also really yeah. like, and I give you kudos, in, in, in your chapter, you talked about your ex-husband and his father not being in his life. And you made sure that when you guys divorced, that you didn't, do that to to him and to the children, both, you know, mutually, yeah. because that would be a re-trauma for him in what he's experienced from his father, but also for your boys. And kudos to that because it's hard, you know, breakups are hard. And when you have children, you, you, you let the bitterness come out to the forefront yeah. and don't allow um, the opportunity to understand that the kids are in the middle. Yeah. And so it shows just like every wall that would have been up against you. You were just like, no, for my babies, mama bear is here and mama bear is going to make sure I protect them from all the BS that's been going on. 
Exactly. And you're right. I mean, there, there's, I mean, it, you know, you can't cover everything in your life. Yeah, in the book, yeah of course. But um, that was just so important to me in the divorce because I understood how important boys relationship is with their father. Yes. And so and what I don't talk about in the book is um, I actually gave up child support so that he could, he wanted me to give up child support so that he could spend more time with them. It was, it was a weird condition. So I did what most moms won't do. I said, my boys having a relationship with their father is more important than, money. than any amount of money he could pay me. Mm. And so you know, he started coaching their teams. Our relationship changed. His relationship with the boys changed. It turned out to be the best decision I made. And they have such a great relationship and he's been a great father. So oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I want you, I know you talked a little bit about um, family dysfunctions, but how can your readers find the fertilizer in family dysfunction? How do you find the fertilizer? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, I can speak to, uh, let me just speak to the story of with mm -hmm. my father. I think it might help people. So somebody asked me at one point, um, you know, what's the greatest gift you've ever received and, or what's your greatest skill or gift? And I said, well, it's intuition. I'm hundred percent. I mean, I have incredible intuition and they said, well, where do you think you got that gift? And I said, well, from walking on eggshells as a child, yeah. you know, you, I like to talk about growing like extra tendrils. You, you, have, you do when you're caught. Yeah, yeah. When you're constantly kind of like, is somebody going to blow up any second? Yes. You're, you pick up every little vibe Everything. in the room. They, they, call, yeah. uh, they call us empaths. Yeah. Empaths because yes. empaths have been through things. So we're able to read a room, pick up cues that no one else would no be able to pick does. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they asked me, well, where do you think you got that gift? And I said, well, from my childhood. And in that moment, I realized if I was going to have gratitude for the gift of intuition, and I already had that incredible gratitude for it, mm -hmm. I had to have gratitude for the path that birthed it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't separate the two. And when I realized that, I suddenly was able to forgive my father and view my childhood differently. Ooh. I suddenly realized that it was a training ground for me to receive this gift. And if you asked me, would I change things? I would tell you no, because I can't imagine going through life without this gift of intuition. Yeah. So I was able to forgive my father, let go of my past and instead embrace the gift and move forward. And so that's an example. I think I go through the book and I tell some other stories about yeah. how I kind of took from what that was that happened to me and, and repurposed it and found something good in it. And I want to be clear to your listeners. I'm not talking about toxic positivity. No, I'm talking about owning your shit, experience it, yes. feel the rage, feel the anger, do the work, do the therapy, but always as you're going through it, one of my favorite quotes is with adversity comes opportunity. Yes. And as you're going through it, always have a lens for that hope and opportunity because it's there. And I know while you're going through it, it's really hard, mm -hmm. but just having that glimmer and knowing in the back of your head, it helps, it helps to navigate it and get through it. And I think that's also what really helped me with COVID. I was like, where's the opportunity? <laughs> let's find, yeah, let's find the opportunity yeah. in this mess. One thing that's been, um, come to mind for me since January, you know, just with some personal things going on is that turning my pain into purpose. 
yes. turning my pain into purpose. And I've, I've always been very raw and vulnerable, you know, with, with my listeners is just that when you're experiencing something that's hard, you can make a decision. You either choose to remain in it and let that control every aspect of your life, or you can choose to turn your pain into purpose. How do you help yourself? How do you motivate yourself? How do you transition yourself? Do you need to start journaling more often, taking care of yourself physically to fight those demons in your head? Because those gremlins will come in. Of course, for you, for me, for, you know, for trauma survivors where the not good enough could come in, you can stand yourself today and and be in the mirror and, and, and double think twice and be like, I don't even know if I look cute today. I don't feel pretty today. Like your whole mood can shift. And it takes a lot of undoing in a day where you're just like, no, you're look at all you've accomplished. Look at everything you've done. Look at yourself. Like we have to build ourselves up, you know, as, as trauma survivors consistently, because being down is the easiest thing. And what I love is that you chose not to be down. You chose to, to share your story with people to say, Hey, Yes, I'm not a, 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 a Holocaust survivor, but I am a survivor of these really painful and horrible things. And I'm going to out my family. And that's not easy. And you were raw and real in your story. Like you, you put your stuff out there, but you were also like, this is my life. This is my experience. And I, 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 I commend you for that. And I give you kudos for just being so vulnerable and raw and, and sharing your story with others. Cause I know that this book whenever it gets in the hands of whoever, you know, purchase, purchases it can find a little glimpse of them in your story and a little glimpse of the hope they want in your hope and healing. Thank you. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. So (laughs) I I was like, we just got a little raw and real right now, but yeah. Oh, Carrie, can you share with someone with our listeners just like three tools, three tools that you would give them as survivors of whatever, whether it's divorce, surviving, you know, family issues, um, you know, assaults, trauma, et cetera, three tools that really, really helped you? Well, I mean, the basic things like therapy, right? Yeah. But um, I think that really it comes down to as, you know, and as I've grown through life and I, you continue to encounter shit because that's life (laughs) is, is with each of these things, I realize that it's these, these momentary split second decisions that can determine your life and how you perceive it. Yeah. And so for me, understanding that, as I like to say, you know, (laughs) life is a roller coaster, right? And you can either scream the whole way in terror, or you can throw up your arms and enjoy the ride. That's right. Yeah. And so in with everything that happens, it's like, how am I going to view this? How am I going to handle this? It's those moments where you choose. I'm going to choose happiness, joy, humor, purpose, as opposed to I'm going to choose to wade in this, wallow in mm. this, be, you know, point the finger at other people. No, it's like immediately going to the mindset of where's the opportunity in this? How can I help others? How can I find purpose in this? That is so critical. So it's, I like to say mindset is a muscle. So Mm -hmm. the more you train your brain to look that way, the more quickly it immediately goes there. Yep. And that's why, like I said, when COVID hit, my brain immediately went to, you know, let's look at history. This is what the good, the good historically, when you look back and here's the good that's going to come from this and how can I, you know, navigate this? Um, So it's just uh, mindset, 
uh, and also developing, I think developing boundaries are really important. Yes. And that has been a recurring theme for me where I I need to have a t-shirt made that says, you don't get to take a dump on my life. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I think you should, because you talk a lot about a lot of shit in your book. So you might as well put that trademark it. I will definitely get it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think people just show up and they're, I mean, I've had this recently, like, well, your life's going so good. So I'm like, wait a second, just because I wrote a book and, you know, I'm happy, you know, I have, you know, have some good career success. Doesn't mean my life is great. I feel like when we talk about, um, let's do the reframe and, and so what? Cause you deserve it. And well, and yeah, yes, yeah, my life is going good. Absolutely. And I'm glad to be where I'm at. <laughs> right. But also I think that people just make up stories about people. They see yeah. something oh, yeah. and they make up a story. Oh, yeah. Part of the reason I wrote the book is I think that people take a look at me and they go, oh, she's having this great, easy life. I'm like, uh, no. And so I think every day when we're interacting with people, as we interact with them, we need to realize we do not know what's going on in the background. So how we treat them could either, you know, be the impetus to um, bring them joy or success, or it could be something that sets them off and makes them kill themselves. That's right. We just don't know. We just don't know. So every time I interact with somebody, I try to, and I say this in the end of the book, leave them with a blessing or a prayer or an act of kindness or that's my legacy. That's it. my purpose. I love yeah. it. I love it. Carrie, where can people find you? And where can people find the book? Yes. So the book is available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also available as an audible. So you can listen to it if you want yeah. to. And it's me reading it. Uh, and it's amazon.com. And it's called Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life by Carrington Smith. And you can find me on all my social as uh, at Carrington ATX. Okay. And I will definitely tag you as soon as the episode is up guys. So you can follow Carrie, go purchase the book and everything. Carrie, this has been such an amazing conversation. I am just so excited for you and whatever the future holds for you. You are resilient. You are a warrior and I'm just grateful and humbled that you spent this time with me today to share your story. And I'm grateful and humbled that you had me on here. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.